The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Lord, I plead your blood today 
over every person who will listen to this broadcast. Lord, I plead your blood. I ask for the cleansing power of your blood. I ask for the convicting power of your blood. And I ask your mercy for the judgment that your blood will pass on every person who treats it as something of non-importance. Lord, we've learned how to survive in this physical realm, but we still don't know how to walk in your spirit the way you've called us to walk. I plead today, Jesus, I plead your blood over this listening congregation. Would you give us clear minds to understand and hearts that will receive? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. What happened at the atonement? When Jesus went to the cross, what happened? When he died on that cross, what happened? What you believe about what happened at the cross will literally determine whether you're cast into hell or taken into the heavens above, whether you enter the celestial city or whether you will be turned away. The atonement is the most crucial turning point in the history of mankind. If it were not for the church today, the world would no longer exist. God's judgment would have come upon this world and would have utterly destroyed it with fire. The only reason the world has not yet been judged is because the Lord Jesus is gathering his people before all the universe, the called out ones. He's gathering them into his body called the church. He is the head of the church, not the institution, not the organization. The called out ones, the people. So what we believe about what happened at the cross is vital. But the background for that cross has to be what happened in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago when a baby was born, but not just a baby. This was a, a baby that was fully God and fully man. Jesus said to us that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in himself. So this was a God-man baby in total union because God could not die, but man could. So this had to be a man who committed no sin, who did not become sin, a man who would bear up our sin onto that cross. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith, I want to read for you what it declares. 
it says, those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth. Not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them. Of course, the Westminster Confession is the worst kind of heresy. It will take many, many people to hell. Why would I say that? Well, first, they're using the word justifieth outside of the word to justify in Scripture. Part of the problem that we're faced with is that the word meanings have been changed. I remember the first time in seminary when I was to read something by Karl Barth. I tried to read it, but I couldn't make sense of it. I read it over and over, and then it dawned on me that he was freighting his words with different meanings than I would be accustomed to. And if I was going to understand what Karl Barth was saying, I had to understand his usage of the language. Dikasune is the Greek word for to justify. But it does not mean simply forgiving sins. The old English word that we get from dikasune meant in the Old English to make righteous. That word has now been corrupted to go with the Westminster Confession that says that you are not made righteous, you are simply declared righteous, and that you continue walking in your sin. Dikasune literally means to be rendered innocent or to be made righteous then it says not by infusing righteousness into them in other words when a person is is born again nothing happens in that person God does not put himself in that person. He does not put righteousness in that person. Not by infusing righteousness in them, but by pardoning their sins. So the Westminster Confession, used by many Presbyterians, literally is saying that your sins are pardoned you are accounted as if you had not sinned even while you continue to walk in your sin. So there is a sleight of hand. And God looks at you. He doesn't see you. He just sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' righteousness, which is perfect. He doesn't see you because you're still a sinner, according to the Westminster Confession. All that is done is an accounting trick. So God, if the Westminster Confession is correct, 
is a trickster. He's dishonest. Because now you are accounted, you are accepted as righteous, but not for anything wrought in them. In other words, nothing changes. And that's why many Reformed churches focus a lot on seminars and workshops and and teaching this law and that law on how you should live, teaching strategies for life, because they say you want as many rewards when you arrive in heaven as possible. And if you leave sin through strategies of success, you then will receive more rewards in heaven. Well, that's a total lie. It's simply not true. It's anathema to the real Christian. So atonement by punishment, which the Westminster Confession believes in, is non-regenerative. What do I mean? It does not regenerate you inside into a righteous person. The sinner is freed through faith from the penalty of sin, but not delivered from the sin that necessitated the penalty. So the sin that caused the penalty of death to come upon us no longer will bring death on us because Jesus died on the cross and he was punished there for our sins. And so I hear all the time, God's love is unconditional. The Bible never uses the word unconditional. It always uses the word unfailing. Big difference. God declares the sinning Christian righteous while they continue to sin. This is the Westminster Confession. It is an opium of the church that has brought the church today into a sleep of death. On the other hand, the priestly sacrificial atonement, that is, where Jesus, as the non-sinner man, as he laid down his life as a priest... He offered his life as a sacrifice. He was not a martyr. He was a priestly sacrifice. He was both priest and sacrifice. That's why I say on this broadcast, Jesus is atonement. I don't say Jesus is the atonement because atonement cannot be separated from Jesus. Atonement is not something outside of Jesus. Jesus is literally, in the love of God, atonement. So atonement from a priestly sacrifice yields the day of grace in which sinners are literally made righteous and thus are freed from the penalty of sin because they are free from sin. To believe that I can be free to continue walking in wickedness, and yet God is looking at me as though I am not a sinner, is a foolish myth. 
it is ignorant. Priestly atonement yields righteousness, imputed righteousness. That is, imputed means to be placed into. In other words, Jesus literally, by his death on the cross, provides his blood, and he now ministers in the heavenly sanctuary. He ministers his blood to those who will come and receive that blood and the benefits therein. And the benefits are he removes the sin from our lives. He removes the fornication. How? By conviction. I'll get to that in just a moment. He removes from our lives lying, stealing, murder, anger, bitterness. He removes from us every unclean thing. Sexual immorality. He removes it from our heart. We no longer desire it. We see it for what it is. It literally, this priestly sacrifice atonement yields righteousness imparted to us. The whole atonement belief that Jesus was punished on the cross and did a finished work at the cross. When a man then is born again under this system, he is born the same old man, but he's encouraged to improve his life. He's encouraged to leave the grosser sins. One man who came to the National Prayer Chapel, heartbroken, a drug addict, he asked me the question, can I be saved while I continue in my drugs? And I said, absolutely no. No, you cannot be. The drugs have to go. And the lying and the stealing that go with the drugs has to go. And he said, well, I asked my pastor at a mega Presbyterian church in Washington, I asked my pastor, and he told me, don't worry about the drugs. You're saved. You've received Jesus, and Jesus now covers you, so God will never see your drug habit. So if you can leave it, that'd be great. If you can go to a program and be rehabbed, that would be great. But don't worry about whether you're a drug addict or not. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. No, he was not on his way to heaven. He was headed fast to hell. See, priestly sacrificial atonement yields a birth from above, a supernatural work of God in which the old man of flesh is stripped off by Jesus and the new man, the one having been created according to the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness of truth. He is, that new man is put on. See, those who believe in the Westminster Confession and those who believe in in the finished work of Christ at the cross, 
that your past, present, and future sins are all forgiven. These people believe in a an atonement by punishment, that Christ suffered all of my punishment, so there's nothing left for me to suffer, so I'm saved even in the midst of my sin. So the blood of Christ in this system leaves a man where the blood of the Levitical animal left the children of Israel, still in sin, trying hard, under a legalistic system, or just to go, as Martin Luther said, in sin boldly, that grace may abound. Thus sins are passed over, pardoned, as under law, but you still have to wait for your day of deliverance. And under this system, your day of deliverance is the day of your death. So essentially, death is the Savior, because death delivers you from your sin. Now, the biblical atonement, the priestly sacrificial atonement, the blood of Jesus Christ removes sin now and cleanses me from all unrighteousness. The day of salvation has come and deliverance is here and now. I mean, what would you think? If Christians continue to walk in sin and refuse a life of obedience, they have a legal statement that they are allowed to continue walking in their sin and in fact will say that no one can leave their sin. That there is no complete regeneration. In other words, we have a church today filled with saved sinners whose daily practice includes sinning in thought, in word, and in deed. And the absence of personal victory is glossed over with a promise of security. As one of these one of these pastors said Michael S. Horton, the editor-in-chief of Modern Reformation, he said there is absolute safety and security for the father's child even while he is sinning. Even though the believer is still sinful, he or she is judged by God as being blameless. Security while sinning is a necessary supplement in the system that does not renew after the image of God, does not save from sins in the here and now. Priestly sacrificial atonement produces Christians who have victory over sin, over self, and over Satan. They live in daily obedience to the will of God. They have stopped sinning because they've been born of God and thus have eternal life. Eternal life is simply the divine nature reproducing itself in human nature. These are very serious issues. 
the church has taken opium and gone to sleep. We see the destruction of America coming. We see a total moral collapse in America today. Every unclean thing is welcomed into the church. Every unclean piece of music is welcomed into the church. We just have to put a few Christ words to go with the wicked music. The church today is filled with entertainment. It's filled with pride and arrogance. It's filled with self. And of course, all of that's natural because they're teaching that you don't have to leave your sin to be saved. You're fine just like you are. But if you want some more rewards in heaven, here are some things you need to do. I want to once more return to chapter 12 of Pilgrim's Progress, edited by C.J. Lovick. It deals specifically with this issue. Bunyan writes, I slept again and I dreamed. I saw the same two pilgrims going down the mountains along the highway toward the celestial city. Now a little below these mountains on the left-hand side lies the country of conceit. From this country meandered a twisting but pleasant green lane that joined the pilgrim's highway. It was here that Christian and Hopeful met a very brisk lad who was coming out of that country. His name was Ignorance. Christian asked him where he'd come from and where he was going. You understand, those are two very, very key questions. Where have you come from? And where are you going? Have you been crucified with Christ? Or do you have a tolerance for wickedness and sin? And are you feasting on the darkness of this world? My pastor would always say, Are you eating the apples of Sodom and the straw of Gomorrah? Are you filling your life with wickedness? with worldliness, with the love of of position and power, the love of success? Are you filling your life with ambitions? You're going to be somebody? Where have you come from? And where are you going? Christian asked him where he came from and where he was going. Sir, I was born in the country that lies off to the left, and I am going to the celestial city. So here's a young man who is coming from the land of deceit, the country of conceit, and he's on his way to the celestial city, and his name is Ignorance. And Christian asked him, But how do you think you will enter in at the celestial gate? I think you may find some difficulty there. Oh, he said, As other good people do? Christian asked again, But what have you to show at the gate that will cause it to be open to you? And if you remember, 
when Christian came through the narrow gate, he was given a piece of paper to assert that he had entered in the narrow gate, that he had left all of the world behind, that he had not brought anything of the city of destruction with him. And from there he went straight to the cross, and there the burden of his sin was rolled away. Christian asked again, But what have you to show at the gate that will cause it to be opened to you? Oh, I know my Lord's will, he said, and I have lived a good life. Ignorance, said confidently. I pray, I pay every man what I owe him. I pray and I fast. I pay tithes and give alms. And I have left my country to go to the celestial city. But Christian challenged. But you did not enter by the narrow sheep gate at the beginning of this way. Instead, you've come into the way through a crooked lane. Therefore, I'm afraid that whatever you think of yourself, you will be accused of being a thief and a robber on the day of reckoning, gaining no admittance to the celestial city. As I read that, my heart was deeply grieved. Because if you believe that your salvation is based on Jesus being punished at the cross and that you're somehow one of the elect and you can continue walking in your sin, you don't ever have the victory, then you have entered into the pursuit of God through a crooked lane, through ignorance. Are you too conceited to consider the question? If you are, you have come from the land of conceit. If you have not searched your soul and allowed the Holy Spirit to search you and to uncover every wicked thing in your heart, if you have not left the world and all of its pleasures and turned fully toward Jesus, you have come to Jesus on a crooked path and he will not receive you. And you will have made whatever portion of the trip you make utterly in vain. Therefore, Christian said, I am afraid that whatever you think of yourself, you will be accursed of being a thief and a robber. Do you understand? It doesn't matter what you think. If I say to you, are you saved? And you say, oh, of course I'm saved. I'm a Christian. That's what you think. But what you think doesn't matter. What matters is what Jesus thinks. What does Jesus think? think of you are you still continuing to walk in fornication in sexual uncleanness are you walking as a homosexual man or a lesbian woman are you unclean sexually 
if you think in that condition you're on your way to heaven because you have these sentimental feelings about Jesus or about God, you've been severely misinformed. If you think that stealing and lying and gossiping, if you think that gluttony is not an issue, if you think that backbiting and gossip is not an issue, if you have filled your heart with a lust for success, ambition to be somebody, then I can tell you now, you are not saved. Because Jesus will declare that you are not saved. You see, the sign that a man or woman has been born from above is that they're transformed into a new person. It is a supernatural work that God does in us and for us, but we are utterly, totally, completely changed because we have now come in by the narrow gate and not the crooked lane, no matter how pleasant that lane was for you to come to Jesus. You've not come to the Jesus of Scripture if you believe that you can continue to walk in hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness. You've not come to Jesus yet. He says, I'm afraid that whatever you think of yourself, you will be accursed of being a thief and a robber on the day of reckoning, gaining no admittance to the celestial city. Gentlemen, you are complete strangers to me. I do not know you, ignorance stated. You be content to follow the religion of your country, and I will follow the religion of mine. I hope that all will be well. And as for the narrow sheep gate that you talk of, the entire world knows that it is far away from our country. I cannot imagine that anyone in these parts even knows how to find it, nor do they need to bother, since, as you can see, we are fine, pleasant, and this is a, a wonderful green lane that comes down from our country and joins the way directly. So John Bunyan calls him an ignorant man. Are you ignorant today? Are you ignorant of the necessity to be entirely washed and cleansed of your sin and to be made into a new creature, utterly regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus, so that you are transformed and the bitterness of your heart is removed. The lust for things of the flesh are removed. You walk now as a humble servant of Jesus, now, this is very difficult, what I'm saying, because as you look around at people, the majority of people will say, I am a Christian and I am saved, while they still walk in their sin. And they are ignorant of the demands of Jesus, that they must leave their sin and be born from above and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. They don't know that. They are ignorant of this. 
Are you ignorant of this? One man who began coming to the prayer chapel said to me, I've been listening to this preaching all my life, this preaching of I'm saved in the midst of my sin. But he said, in my heart, I knew it wasn't true. I knew it was a lie. But I didn't know how to become righteous. I tried, but I couldn't do it. He's right on. I can't make myself righteous, and you can't make yourself righteous. I am guilty before God. But by the power of the blood and the supernatural work of Jesus, he comes and he changes our hearts. He writes his laws on our hearts. That's what the new covenant is about. The new covenant is not about you're saved with a trick of God, but you continue to be ravished by the devil. What thoughtful husband would want his wife to be constantly ravaged and raped by a wicked man no he would rise up and he would deal with that man he would stop it when we become the bride of christ the devil no longer has the power to come and rape us or ravage us or deceive us because we died and were born from above I ask you honestly the question have you been born from above are you a new creature in Christ has the old gone and the new come if not you need to get quickly to Jesus And you must begin to confess and ask Jesus to transform you into a new person, to remove whatever sin might reside in your heart and in your body. And he will do it. When Christians saw that the man was wise in his own conceit, he said to Hopeful, whisperingly, There is more hope for a fool than for him. And he also said, When he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him. And he saith to everyone that he is a fool. What do you think, continued Christian? Should we continue walking with him, or should we walk away from him and give him time to think about what we have told him? We, would, we could stop and wait for him later and see if he disagrees to see if we can do some good. Let ignorance a little while now muse on what is said and let him not refuse good counsel to embrace lest he remain still ignorant of what the, is the chiefest gain. God saith that no understanding have them he will not save hopeful said I 
I don't think it's a good idea to tell him everything at once. Let's pass him by for now. And if you would like, we will talk with him later. Perhaps he will be better able to consider what we've told him if we give him some time to do so. So Christian and Hopeful both went on ahead, and ignorance remained behind them. And after a little while they entered into a dark lane where they saw a man with whom seven demons had bound with seven strong cords. The demons were carrying him back to the door that Christian and Hopeful had seen with the shepherds on the side of the hill. Now good Christian and Hopeful began to tremble as the devils led the man along. Christian looked to see if he knew the man who was bound, and he thought he recognized him as one of the turnaround or turn away who lived in the town of apostasy. But he could not clearly see his face, for the bound man hung his head like a captured thief, and once they had passed, Hopeful looked after him and saw on his back a paper with the, in, with the inscription, Wanton Professor and Damnable Apostate. What is the sign on the back you wear? Does it say, Pleasurable Sinner? Does it say, Lukewarm and Hard-Hearted? Are you being led to your destruction because you have believed the lie that you can continue to walk in sin and that the grace of God has covered you and that when Jesus looks at you, he won't see you, he'll see his own righteousness? Are you like the man ignorance? Or have you awakened to your true spiritual condition Have you been found washed in the blood of Jesus? Are you walking clean before the Lord today? Now I must confess there was a time in my life as a pastor that I taught the lies you're hearing. And I was confronted by a man. And he said, Pastor Ray, did you know you must repent of your sin? I said, I repented of my sin when I became a Christian. So I'm now covered by the blood of Jesus. I have nothing to repent of now. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus. When God looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. Oh, how utterly deceived I was. That man's words rung in my heart and my mind. until I became grief-stricken. And then with tears, the Lord began to show me the wickedness I was walking in and asked me, will you turn away? The repercussions were awful. The pain was incredible. I had to close the church that I was pastoring. It was an independent church that I had started. The Lord said to me, it's not my church, it's yours. If you want to follow me, close it and come and follow me. 
That's what I did. I closed it. And of course, with closing it, I lost my salary. And for the next seven years, I had no salary. I had no... I simply followed Jesus. I followed Jesus in my case, not in yours. In my case, I followed Jesus with my wife into five years of homelessness, tucked away in a pagan family's home, being loved and cared for by them. I look back and I say, Lord, how gracious you were. So for seven years, I simply read the scriptures and searched after Jesus day after day, hour after hour, as I had to completely throw out everything I'd learned in the church I was born in, the denomination I was a part of, and then everything that I had accumulated through seminary. And later, I had to lay it all down because it didn't match with the scriptures taught. So please understand, I'm not saying this to you lightly. I've paid a tremendous price to be free to say the things to you today I'm saying to you. I've paid a tremendous financial price, a physical price, a spiritual price. I've had to enter through the narrow gate and leave behind all of my hopes, dreams, visions of being somebody of success and prosperity. I've laid all of that down. I made a covenant with the Lord that I would only receive from his hand what he chose to give me. That's how I walk today. Trusting, trusting in Jesus, trusting in his shed blood, and he has worked an incredible change in my heart. And he will in yours. You can have the victory over every sin, over every bondage. Nay, you must have the victory. Or you cannot be saved. There are no exceptions. Some of you have said to me, when we've spoken by telephone or when you have visited the National Prayer Chapel. Pastor, I'm doing the best I can do. That's all I can do. And I'm not able to overcome this sin. And I've said to you, my dear brother, you cannot overcome your sin. It's a free gift by faith. It is by faith alone in the blood of Jesus Christ standing in the promises of God. And by these precious promises, we participate with God in the divine nature, being transformed into the likeness of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Are you saved? Has that wonderful power of Jesus come into your life and into your heart and transformed you and broken the bondages of your sin, your hopelessness. I spoke with a man yesterday 
trying to dig out, trying to figure out what's in my heart. I said to him, stop. That's not your job. Your job is to look at Jesus. Your job is to ask Jesus to come and tear away the wickedness of your flesh. Jesus is the one who will do the the repair and the change and the cleansing. As long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, you humble your heart and you ask him, please, I don't want to walk in this anymore. Put hatred in my heart toward this. The Christian walk is not a walk of self-improvement. The Christian walk is not a lifetime of struggle with sin. When a person comes to Jesus and they are born from above, all sin is broken. Is temptation broken? No. But is the power of that sin broken? Yes, the scriptures tell us that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. He will make a way of escape for you. This is the heart of the gospel. The atoning blood of Jesus that does not just declare us righteous. The blood of Jesus makes us righteous. Mighty God, I know that those listening to this broadcast today will have no ability to turn aside from their sin if you do not come and convict them and show them their true condition before you. And I'm asking that that would happen right now. I'm asking Jesus, would you come and release your people from the bondage of Satan Would you give them intellectual understanding, spiritual understanding, physical understanding, that, Lord, we would no longer take the opium of deception. We would no longer walk in the ignorant lie that we cannot leave our sin. Lord, please come and minister to your people today. There are some who are very discouraged. They don't understand what I've been saying. It sounds so different from what they're used to. There are some who are just angry because they don't like what's being said. They would rather struggle and strive in their physical world, trying to overcome, believing they're saved, And Lord, there are some who have the victory. I praise you today, Jesus, for each of these three. And I ask that your spirit would come in great power and bring revival to our hearts 
indwelling us with power to look at you, Jesus, and to find you enough, for you are the atonement. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. I invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message additional times. I also invite you to go to our YouTube and subscribe. You can watch today's message on the YouTube. I also invite you to participate with me in covering the cost of this broadcast. Please write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Thank you, my brother and sister. I pray that today's message was helpful to you. I encourage you, look to Jesus. He is our Savior. God bless you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'll talk to you soon. Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Jesus Christ.